The last domino has fallen. The New Orleans Saints have decided who their next head coach will be. It's Bain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And look, we'll get to the Super Bowl. We got a lot of Super Bowl we're going to cover today. We're going to cover it all week. This is Super Week. We will give it all of the glory and shine that it deserves. But we start tonight with Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless in the form of breaking news. According to our very own Adam Schefter, the New Orleans Saints have decided to elevate defensive coordinator Dennis Allen and make him the next head coach of their franchise, filling the last remaining opening across the league as we look at a franchise that has been synonymous, Sarah, for the last generation. Generation with Sean Payton and Drew Brees and greatness, they now start a new era where we'll find out quickly what they think of the quarterbacks that they have in the building, and we'll find out quickly what the new identity can be for Dennis Allen as he steps up into a role where he'll have the chance to make the Saints his own. Yeah, and it in some ways it's a safe choice because he has been uh, an employee under Sean Payton for such a long time. He's been a head coach before, was uh, the head coach of your beloved Raiders for two years. Not a great time there, 8-28 and 28, uh, as the head man there, but has had a ton of success as the D coordinator for New, for New Orleans. And again, it has really learned under Sean Payton. So if the Saints, and for good reason, want to keep that stretch going and the success and the vibes and the the approach of Sean Payton, this is probably their best opportunity to do that. Well, and sometimes, you know, we get caught up in the our wins and losses a quarterback stat. I know wins and losses will always be a coach stat. I'm not an idiot. But I do think that there's context to some of uh, oh, 100%. the... 100%. I mean, it, you just got to go back and, and as somebody that watched all of those Dennis Allen games, you got to look back at how bad that roster was and some of the problems that they had and think, okay... He had the chance to step away from it, prove to the world why he got that opportunity in the first place because he is a great coordinator. And now in his second opportunity, he gets to to do it in a place that at this point definitely has more stability than anything he would have experienced in the with the Raiders at the time for sure and he steps into a place that has ownership uh, sort of figuring out the way they're going to run this organization a GM that's been there for a minute like there are opportunities to look at this and say okay it can be different because I'm one piece of the pie and the rest of the pie is much better than the previous pie that I was in absolutely and there are folks who are are uh, were a little prescient in their in their viewing of the team and Sean Payton stepping away and already saw that perhaps this might be coming Saints O lineman Tron Armstead was on Canty and Cole Jr before this was announced a, a, a while back and said he saw this coming you know they got a guy in the building and Dennis Allen that, that can very well be the the next head coach that everyone's familiar with and ready and willing to play for uh but you know whoever whoever's Coming in, it's just a great nucleus that's already down there of talent and leaders that's that's ready to to move forward. There's something to continuity through this move, too. You mentioned earlier it's safe, and I think that's a really fair assessment. I also think it gives Dennis Allen an opportunity to figure out what he wants to do to tweak things but not necessarily make wholesale changes. And, you know, I think it's interesting because one reporter down in New Orleans actually tweeted out something to the effect that uh, that Mickey Loomis, the GM there, was looking to accomplish this is Jeff Duncan um, said Saints GM Mickey Loomis established two criteria early in his coaching search. One, familiarity with the Saints culture, and two, head coaching experience. Dennis Allen was the only candidate among the six interviewees for the job who met both criteria. If that's important to them, knowing the Saints in and out, this hire makes a lot of sense for the sake of continuity. When you've done things really well for a long time, continuity has to be enticing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we saw what the Saints were, the Aints, 
before Sean Payton got there. And, and they have no interest in seeing what the world is like without the Sean Payton influence or system. And, and this is this is going to, in theory, can't replace the guy, but in theory could keep them from going into a massive rebuild. Now, of course, their quarterback situation and a couple other things are certainly going to be a part of that as well. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you. Uh, two other coaches announced uh, – uh, today and yesterday, uh, Mike McDaniel, uh, the San Francisco offensive coordinator who kind of became this like little underground candidate. A lot of people liked his pressers. Um, here's a little bit of what it sounded like at times as he had fun with the media all year. Mike, Mike, um, what is it about Debo? Who? What's up, man? Mike Jones, let's go. What's up? Excited to be here. Uh, Equally excited for you guys to truly take in how physically imposing I am. So, <laughs> whenever you guys are ready to start, let's do it. What do we got? You got, got anything going on? Just hanging out in an auditorium? All right. Just gonna drag it out of me, huh? God. Make you do all the work. What do you guys got for me? I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> all right. See you guys. So, how are we doing? Certain guys just come across as dynamic, right? Like Dynamic and silly a little bit and small to his own point, which is an interesting thing to see. Um, I believe he was a wide receiver at Yale, um, part of that coaching tree that came out of the uh, Washington football team that's pretty incredible how many guys were on that staff of not a particularly great team, by the way, who have all gone out to find uh, success. And Fitz, you know, he identifies as biracial. He is one of the few now minority head coaches in the league um, and is a bit of a risk as a guy who's only spent one season as an offensive coordinator before that was run coordinator, held a number of different jobs, been in the NFL for 15 seasons, two in the UFL. But this is a pretty big leap for a guy that was not talked about as one of the top candidates as we entered this offseason. I feel like he's somebody that because of his press conferences over the course of the year became more and more of a character that people right. really bought into. But I needed this hire not to happen for a very simple reason. Uh, like, pray for my menchies at this point as we now try and figure out whether we're talking about McDaniel with the Dolphins or McDaniels mm -hmm. with the Raiders every 100%. single day. That is not going to be kind to we me We deserve immunity all. for all the errors that are inevitable. I think we should just, from the top, decide to call him, like, M.M. Oh, M that's squared, not bad. Whatever it is. Mickey D. McDolphin. McDolphin, McDolphin okay, works for me. Um, but, yeah, McDaniels and McDaniel is unfair. Uh, I'm st I'm still reminding myself of Burrow every time. Oh, like Burrow, Burrow, Kittle, not Kittles. Like there are certain names that you just have to think about. Um, Marcel Louis Jacques is going to be uh, saying the name a lot. He's the ESPN Dolphins reporter. He had this to say about the hire. After nearly a month-long coaching search, the Dolphins have their guy. It's former 49ers offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel. I'm told that he was so impressive during his first interview with the team a 50-minute Zoom call earlier this offseason, that they were willing to wait on their final decision until they were able to bring him in the building. In the time after that interview, I'm told Dolphins owner Stephen Ross had conversations with Rams coach Sean McVay and Packers coach Matt LaFleur, who both praised their former co-worker. Remember, they were all on that same Washington staff during the early 2010s. Then this Friday, McDaniel sealed the deal with an extraordinary interview that spanned most of the day. Miami did interview Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore on Saturday, but opted for the NFL experience and the innovation that McDaniel brings to the table.
I, I appreciate everything Marcelo's saying there, but it also feels like we have to weigh in that dynamic personality we were talking about. Like, there are just some guys that when you walk in the room, they win you, and uh, they, they win you over, and that's something that he does. And I just wonder how much that plays into the entire decision-making process for all the X's and O's that every coach can do. Just likability matters. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And what happens sometimes, and part of the issue that we need to get into as we as we take in stuff like the Roger Goodell letter that acknowledged that the results of the Rooney Rule and and, and related policies hasn't worked, is you can you can analyze the result and you could say over and over again it's unsatisfactory. But unless you're willing to be honest about the process, you'll never get to the root of the problem. And while it may work very well for someone like Mike McDaniel, in the past what has needed to be acknowledged is the number of white owners who don't want to hang out with black coaches, who don't feel comfortable, who don't have shared life experiences and connections and backgrounds. And because of that gap, never feel comfortable as that being their man. And the head coach is ultimately a go-between the coaches in the front office. And that lack of, of experience and time around people from different cultures is one of the reasons that the NFL looks so white at the top. And yeah. so that can be a great thing. It can also, in the case of, say, my Chicago Bears, it sounded like from a lot of what came out of the team that they really liked hanging out with Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, they liked that he had a beat-up old car, and they spent a long time at dinner just chatting, and he was a nice kid. And meanwhile, maybe not so much Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Well, you try to figure out maybe why they had a great time with Mitch Trubisky and not the other two. Oh, that is some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. We'll keep breaking down the coaching hires, of course, give you our thoughts on those. But in the meantime, it's also Super Week, which means it's time to break down some of the Super Week superlatives you've got to know going into the game. We'll do that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. Now, we're going to do something progressive now, something that's never been done in the history of ESPN Radio, Sarah. We're going to preview the Super Bowl. Whoa, I know. whoa, whoa. We're going to do it in a way no one's ever done it before. Well, you know what? Why don't we do, like, I don't know, Super Week superlatives? Like, like oh, Super Bowls? Okay, oh, like... so we're going to do it in a way that everyone's done before. No, this is new. This is fresh. This oh, okay, is wild. Okay. This is exciting. Okay. We're going to okay, pick okay. different uh, different players to watch out for, different situations no to watch out for. Can we talk about gonna... how much pressure people have? Oh, my God, yeah. And so we're going to talk about pressure, and we're going to talk Ooh. about stars, and we're going to talk about class clowns. Wow. I don't know. I just Buckle made that up. one up. All right, so. Class clowns. Yeah, I just. Just, Wait, what was your senior superlative? Were you class clown? Yeah, I wasn't even most talented. I didn't get any. Oh, no. I didn't, I didn't get any. Yeah. You'll be shocked to learn I was senior superlative, which means I got the most votes for the oh, most wow. things. Wow. That is not, that just, is not just shocking at all. the heptathlete of humans. I didn't Jack get- Jack of all trades. Master of none. Well, didn't win a thing. That sang not the best in, at anything. Some girl that sang in, co- in choir was, was named the most talented, and I was like- <laughs> I'm, I was at Juilliard. Like, okay, it's, I'm not angry about it still. It's fine. Still bitter. Thanks, we, we all are. We are okay. all still bitter about things that happen anytime from junior high on. That is fact. Oh, don't even get me started on junior. Okay, fine. We'll get to Super Week superlatives. Let's start with the easiest one. Uh, biggest star. Who do you think is going to be the biggest star in this game? So I think there's two answers. There's heading oh. in and then there's potentially with a win. And I think heading in is an interesting one because, uh, you know, especially for a Rams team that hasn't been super fully embraced yet by its home city, there's 
a couple opportunities for it to be not who you'd expect. Like you'd think Aaron Donald is a massive name and some would argue the best football player in the league. Um, You would think that Matt Stafford, having been a quarterback in the league for as long as he had, but he's new to that team. I think it might be Odell Beckham Jr. I think that guy, because of how flashy he is, because of the storylines, because he's crossed over into sort of fashion and pop culture and and, commercials, I think it might be him. I think heading into the game, a thousand percent, and it feels weird to say it. Like, at first, my inclination was like you. I thought Aaron Donald, but, you know, I was talking to Shay Cornette this morning, and she pointed out that, like, if you walked into a Starbucks and saw Aaron Donald, how many people are like, oh, that's Aaron Donald. Like, the casual fan the last several years for the Super Bowl has had a Brady or a Mahomes that seems to have crossed over into pop culture. This Super Bowl is lacking that right now, so I don't even know that there's a close second when it comes to just curating to normal, like, casual, barely watch any football fans for it. Now, in the game itself, like, as much as I think Odell Beckham Jr. is the biggest star going in, in the game itself, I would argue that they should just, when they announce the starting lineups, they should announce Aaron Donald as the starting running back for the Bengals because he's going to be in their backfield the entire game. Like, he is the star of this game. I think, uh, I disagree with you, though, in the sense of, if we're talking about Q rating, I think the biggest opportunity is Joe Burrow. If Joe Burrow has a spectacular game, if the Bengals win... That guy is a star in a way that only the only the Bradys and Mahomes and such are. Like, I think he's got that combination of swagger and talent. And if the Bengals were to win, they're not a huge market. But Joe Burrow himself, I think, could find himself, you know, presenting awards at the Golden Globes and things like that, where he gets to cross over. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think if the, the Bengals win, he becomes a mega star. Like, he becomes the bad boy version of Mahomes, right? Like, there's something about the cigar smoking and, like, cool thing that, you I don't know. know if I'd go as far as bad boy. Well, like, boy band version of a bad boy. Like, yeah, he's yeah, not yeah, really yeah, yeah. a bad boy. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he's got some, you know, he's, he's just got... Surprisingly he, swaggy boy band uh, member. Right, that is, yeah. that is, <laughs> that's our superlative. Surprisingly swaggy boy band member is Joe, Joe Burrow. There's yeah. no doubt. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so who's under? Let's let's do that. This is innovative as we go through superlatives. The most pressure. So I don't think it's Stafford uh, because as much as the conversation from some of us bloviating gas bags will be the Rams did just fine and got to the Super Bowl with Goff and didn't win with him either. So Stafford wasn't an upgrade. I don't actually think most people are that singular in their approach they understand it's a much bigger game than just the quarterback if he's terrible and throws a bunch of picks I absolutely think that that could be real tough on Stafford but the the fact that they're in it in his first year um that's already big I think it might be McVay and here's why Dan Orlovsky was on NFL Live today and he he really put together quite a case for how much pressure is on a court on a coach who's already experienced a ton of success they have 22 starters on their football team nine of them are first rounders Nine mm. out of the 22 guys wow. that start on the Rams are wow. first-rounders. They got a guy that's going to be a, a, potentially a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's top 10 in touchdowns and yards by the end of next season. They got a Hall of Fame potential tackle in Andrew Whitworth. They got OBJ, who was one of the brightest offensive stars in football and had historic um, kind of production to start his football career. Start to a season, Cooper yeah. Cup has the arguably be the greatest wide receiver season ever. They've got a Hall of Famer on defense in Aaron Donald. They've got a Super Bowl MVP on defense in Vaughn Miller. And they have one of the best defensive backs in football in Jalen Ramsey, if not the best. 
This yeah. is a must-win Super Bowl for Sean McVay. Yeah. You're playing against a football team that had two wins two years ago. Two. This <laughs> is a must-win for Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams. You agree? Yeah, I, I think that's actually a really smart take uh, by Dan. I mean, I, I feel like... It, that's the the real answer because every one of these players will live to see another season and have another opportunity. Not that McVeigh wouldn't, but the pressure goes when you know we always talk about let the cook pick their ingredients. When you have the finest ingredients ever, when you're on next level chef, but you're always cooking at the top level with the best ingredients, you better win and you better cook something amazing. And that's that's what I think the pressure does lie in McVeigh. So yeah, I, absolutely. I, you've got a young coach that has a lot of career left in front of him, but if he doesn't win the Super Bowl with this, there will be people that start raising eyebrows and saying, yeah. hey, did he do enough? But Fitz, quickly, I also think it's because there isn't anyone that's in a ton of pressure. Yeah. The Bengals are at the beginning, wide open. McVeigh's had enough success already that this isn't the, the make or break. I mean, there's there's nobody who's really got that much on the line. There is the opportunity for a lot of breakout stars, this big upside for an, an X-Factor person or a team or a coach, a player. I think Burrow, for me, is the one that really could have the biggest upside. If, if he wins, it's it's skyrocket to the moon popularity and, and, and Q rating. Yeah, if he wins, I 1,000% agree with you. I think if he wins, he becomes the household name out of the Super Bowl and it becomes a great story. Is there somebody you have as a breakout like we weren't thinking about might be a big player? I got Chidobi Awuzi, I think, is the, the corner out of Cincinnati. He has a chance. He's going to be – there's going to be a lot of balls in the air. Give him a chance to make a lot of plays. So he's somebody I think could have a big game. I want to say Quentin Spain because I just think the brand needs to – fly needs to soar but I actually think it's Cooper Cup and that's wild because he already had such an incredible season but a lot of people don't know Cooper Cup if you walk down the street if you said his name a lot of casuals wouldn't know him so if he has one of those wild Super Bowls that could be huge for him too in terms of you know really jump-starting a career that's already off to an incredible start. That's the biggest opportunity that comes from the Super Bowl the more we talk about it. There are a ton of stars in this game, but they're mm-hmm. not household names yet. And, yep. like, the casual fan is going to fall in love with the whole group of players at a much different level based on this Super Bowl, which is a great opportunity from the NFL. Coming up next, we'll go out to L.A. to set the scene with an expert. You're listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Fitz went to go. Take a tinkle, so I'm going to handle this interview on my own. Just kidding. I pre-taped it, but let's make fun of Fitz anyway. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Happy to welcome in friend of the show, DeMarco Farr, former player with the Rams, now a radio host out in L.A., and boy, must you be excited. Your squad, your city, two years in a row now that the Super Bowl is actually uh, in the city of, of one of the teams after it not happening for the entire history of the NFL. Just, I know L.A., I lived in L.A., it, 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 it definitely gets hype around the big events. Playoff time, all the Lakers car flags come out, and all of a sudden everybody's a diehard. So tell me how that whole city, as Super Week starts, has just gotten into football mode. You know, we're, we're getting there. Uh, you know, with the Lakers and the Dodgers, a little bit different. There's some diehard fans there, Sarah. You know, I mean, yes. they live and die with LeBron. They live and die with anything, the, the boys in blue. But uh, I think L.A. is just going gaga over the Super Bowl, the spectacle. Uh, watching SoFi transform from a Rams slash Chargers stadium to just an NFL blank slate has been cool. Everybody's excited. I can't tell you how many people have asked me about the NFL experience. People that are born and raised in Southern California, they've asked me more about that than they have the game. They just can't wait to get involved in 
you know, the, the, the biggest NFL party of the year. And then we'll get to the game on Sunday. So the excitement right. is definitely growing around here. <laughs> L.A. is a fun place to be no matter what. But when you add in all the parties and the celebrities and you've got your team in it, uh, I'm kind of bummed. I'm only getting out there Thursday. So Thursday through Monday, I'm going to have to squeeze a whole lot of fun into just a couple days. But I can do it. I believe in myself. I'm going to do it. Um, let's Absolutely. Talk, <laughs> let's talk about the Super Bowl <laughs> as a game because all the parties and the other fun stuff is a good time. But the game itself, the fun for all the fans is actually can be a challenge for players and I'd love for you to reflect on playing in a game like that just how different it feels whether it's the pageantry beforehand the length of the halftime show all of that you know it it was funny um it it was just a normal game for me back in 2000 uh the 99 season when we're in Atlanta getting ready to play the Titans and thank goodness we only had one week from NFC championship to the Super Bowl because we were a semi-young team, and we were heading to Atlanta, so I can only imagine what two weeks would have been like. So we had, like, really one day off to see the sights, and then we had to get back to work. So it was a normal week for us, and I remember when it hit me. Um, we're getting ready to go out. This is uh, after warm-ups, so the game's getting ready to start, and right to my left was an old teammate of mine named Ryan Tucker. And he's about six foot seven, and I'm six foot one. and I looked, and my eyes are right at his shoulder, and this patch on his shoulder said, Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, my God, we're in the biggest game of the year. And I walked out, <laughs> and I walked past Boris Becker, like the tennis player. Yeah. And I keep seeing celebrity after celebrity in the stands. I'm like, this is no average football game. So it was weird. But once you see the ball in the air, once toe meets leather, and it's just football, it goes back to normal. Now, halftime is weird. Yeah. Uh, it was the first time I've ever, I've ever seen guys take their pads off and actually have a chance <laughs> to relax. Usually you get your instructions, have some Gatorade, go back out. This was a little extended, so – it's really two games. The first half of the game, wait, and then you play the second half game. So, yeah, it's it's a different feeling, but it's just ball. Yeah, two different games. Nobody knows that better than the Falcons, I would say. Uh, the Falcons and, and, and <laughs> the Patriots. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, talking to DeMarco Farr, former player for the Rams, now radio host out in L.A., getting ready to host. I can only imagine how many friends are hitting up that cell phone for the parties and everything else uh, that you've you've got the hookup. Let's talk about the team because you mentioned, you know, the fan base is still growing and there were a lot of jokes at the expense of the Rams and, and, you know, how many road fans would show up in their building. But you've got some pieces, whether that's Aaron Donald or OBJ or Cooper Cup, even Matt Stafford, who's super well-known despite just being a year in. You've got some really good sellable pieces there. What would it mean to this franchise and the and the home city if they won a Super Bowl. How big of a deal could that be in terms of how the fans connect with the team? I think it's massive, and that's how you build your fan base. That's how you build the diehards. That's how you get those diehard Laker fans that, you know, have cars that are painted, you know, purple right. and, and gold right. or yellow, whatever it is, and Dodger blue cars. Uh, you have to, you know, put the cherry on top and win the championship. It's not enough just to get there. For most cities, but especially – for LA, you've got to come out of this thing as champions. But I'll tell you this, winning that NFC championship game here versus San Fran uh, was just as big. Uh, you were outnumbered in your own stadium because more Niner fans showed up. Some of the Rams fans sold their tickets. So if you want to stop that from happening with that football team or with Green Bay, Pittsburgh, those teams that travel, you've got to win a championship. You've got to become a championship-level football team here to get that sort of respect from your fans to where they can say no to making money off selling tickets versus, hey, look, I got to be there. 
I got to see what Cooper Cup does next. I got to see what Aaron Donald does next. Win a Super Bowl, bring home a Lombardi, have a parade, get all the pictures there with the kids and the little kiddos that are growing up knowing nothing but Rams as champions. That stuff will stop happening. So it's ultra important. Number one, you got the win versus San Fran. Number two, you've got to bring home the Lombardi. Spain and Fitz, DeMarco Farr is with me here on ESPN Radio. Um, You know, this is a long week when you get down to spending every show really trying to break down the matchup. By the end of it, uh, most of us are, at least in my case, start to put in the prop bets because we feel like we've overanalyzed it enough that we're never going to know more. <laughs> like last year, I won seven of my nine bets. I never even gamble. But I was like, I'm never going to know more about a game than I do about this one because we just beat the no analysis doubt. to death. So <laughs> it's day one. It's Monday. What's what's the focus for you when you look at this matchup on Monday? What are you looking at uh well i just well not just started but i was looking at cincinnati i've done all the rams stuff all the rams breakdown i can have the regular season the postseason so i know them now i'm getting back into the opponent heavy uh watching joe burrow wow that guy is phenomenal yeah um, he was sacked what 51 times in the regular season should have been 100 uh you know their their old line turns guys loose he finds a way to get free and gets the ball out to jamar chase now that is a guy that really scares me He's got that otherworldly speed, and he is as competitive as I've seen. So that matchup between he and Jalen Ramsey is going to be combustible. But uh, Aaron Donald versus that offensive line versus those guards in particular, I'm taking Aaron all day, every day. So if Joe Burrow is going to be champion, he's going to have to come down the hard road to get it because I think Aaron Donald, number 99, is going to be living in that backfield. Yeah, there's so many interesting matchups to look at, and there's it, one of the things that's so tough is that you do see these these Bengals and everything that you think would be the deciding factor, whether that's their porous O line against a really great Rams D line. It doesn't matter. Like, cool, we took nine sacks and we still won, right? We we've got this right. matchup that we struggle with, and they still win. They're just so hot right now. Are you feeling more confident in the Rams in terms of consistency because of the last few games? Because it really took that last couple regular season and then this postseason run for some of the doubts to go away. Are you ready to feel confident that they bring that same game that they did the last couple? I think so. I think this team is going to play loose. I think some of the pressure is off because of that NFC championship game was against the 49ers, your rival. And like I said, they you were outnumbered at home. So there was a lot of pressure on this football team to get it done. Go back to week 18. The Rams were crowned NFC West champion, and they put on those hats in the locker room because the Niners had just beaten them. So it was a little bit different. So I think this team is going to play fast and play loose. Uh, they'll have all the respect in the world for Cincinnati, but this is not like San Francisco. There's no psychological edge. Uh, so, that, so that's number one. Number two, they're healthy. Uh, everybody's back for the most part. And look, uh, Cam Akers coming back, I thought it was huge. Uh, because Sony Michelle was great towards the end of the year. He really solidified that run game and helped the team get back on track. But Cam Akers, he makes the offense better at running back, and he's back, and he's got enough reps under his belt to where he can just go now. Eric Weddle coming back from being on the couch, Sarah, are you kidding me? It looks like mm-hmm. he hasn't gone anywhere. Insane. So yeah, that, Incredible. that back-end situation was an issue since he's come back. The secondary has been settled. There's been less confusion, and – it allows the guys up front to eat. So what I'm saying is Sean McVay and this group of guys, they're ready to play their best football game. I don't think they played all year or, or played their A game. There's been semblance of, but I think they're ready to put it all together on Super Bowl Sunday. So let's hope that happens. 
DeMarco, before we let you go, and it's Sarah Spain talking to DeMarco Farr here on Spain and Fitz, former Rams Super Bowl winner, now a host out in L.A. Uh, where's the one party you're going to this weekend for sure? What's the one event that you're like, okay, it's going to get crazy here in L.A., but this is the spot? I'm turning back the clock. Lee Steinberg party. Can't okay. wait. That's going to be fun. I used to, I, I used to go all the time, and I stopped because I got old and married. But this time, <laughs> since it's here, it's your I'm city. Going. <laughs> there you go. Your city. Perfect. Hey, thanks for the time. Enjoy the week. I'll see you out there. I'll talk to you soon. Good stuff from DeMarco Farr, as always. Looking forward to talking to folks all week long. And I will be out in L.A. Thursday, Friday, and going to the game. So lots of good stories for the show coming out of that. Coming up next here on Spain and Fitz, Quickies, ESPN Radio, ESPN App. We are uh, equally as excited for the halftime show as the game itself, perhaps more so. Way more, <laughs> and way our, uh, more. As our buddy Mitchell, who's producing us tonight, said, I believe it was him, we're mostly just looking forward to all the old folks our age explaining to their kids the good old days. Oh, yeah. This is what music used to be. We used to, I mean, not that they're not still around, but uh, yeah, there's there's some old heads in the mix, and I'm, I'm pumped about it. I'm excited about it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're going to be playing uh, music from all the different halftime performers throughout the week to get us ready for Super Bowl and we will be talking a ton more Super Bowl here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. But there's other news in the world, and we got to get to it. Spain and Fitz brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. And you know if it's Spain and Fitz, this is, uh, this is how we do it. We do it with quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. The NBA trade deadline is approaching. We've been talking a lot about a potential trade between the Sixers and the Nets for James Harden and, and Ben Simmons. Bobby Marks was kind enough to uh, to let us know before the show today, our ESPN front office insider, which of these teams has more leverage when it comes to the trade. It's the Brooklyn Nets as a team that has the leverage with regards to James Harden. When you look at the Sixers this offseason, there's no clear path for Harden to get to Philadelphia unless you're going to trade players like Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons for nothing. And I think when you look at it for Brooklyn situation, they know that. So if, if Harden is going to get to Philadelphia this offseason, it's going to have to be in a sign-in trade or him opting into his contract and the Nets getting some type of value. I don't see Harden getting to Philadelphia unless Brooklyn gets something back in return. Fitz, this is really complicated for quickies, so I'll just say – it's fascinating to consider that this might be a, one of the better opportunities for the Sixers to get rid of Ben Simmons and really get something in return. But do they want James Harden and do they want to have to pay him what it's going to cost to keep him in the long term? How much longer will he be a really viable star in this league? Would they be better off waiting, making a deal to bring Beal? Beal is probably a better fit. Harden might actually make their team worse, while Simmons is the perfect fit for the Nets and makes the Nets much better. So you're making your opponent much better while potentially taking on an albatross of a contract in Harden if you try to keep him through a sign-and-trade and give him that max. Yeah, and there's a definitive downside to both sides for this to me, but I keep thinking about the Simmons uh, position that we're in, and it feels like somebody that's too pot-committed when they're playing poker. They've put too much in, and they know their hands bad and that's where the Sixers have been for a long time on this and we're still at that point like there is just so little value to other teams for Ben Simmons right now that it feels like it's almost impossible to get a trade done that's going to give Philly back what they want which is a star that will make them better today I, I I just feel like this is bad chasing bad all the way around 
Well, and the thing is, and to your point, there's not a lot of other teams that really want Ben Simmons and have the assets to give up for him. Sacramento should do it. Uh, Ramona Shelburne told me Sacramento would be the great place, but they overvalue their own guys. Boston would need a third team as a partner. You know, there's a lot of cap space issues that make it really difficult um, for some of the teams to try to figure out to, to, to move it around. So, um that's the only risk is you don't make this deal and then you can't work it out and you're hanging on to an asset in Ben Simmons that you can't get enough back for. It's quickies, so we'll have to keep it moving. Quickies. NHL All-Star, what was the big takeaway for you? Yeah, I loved the way the NHL integrated Vegas into everything that they were doing. Like seeing the guys out on the Bellagio Fountains, and I've heard rumors that that's some of the stuff that the NFL draft is considering doing with their broadcast as well, but the way it really felt different. Every NHL All-Star game feels unique because they actually embrace the city they're in, and they find ways to make the city part of the star of the process. I loved all of that for the NHL All-Star. The, the skills challenges are a blast, but just having the Vegas flair to me was one of the coolest things I could see. Yeah. Um, one thing I would say is it sounds like there might be some COVID-related outbreaks from the All-Star Week. Shocking. Uh, I believe six so far are rumored to have recently tested positive. There was a lot of partying in Vegas, a lot of folks getting around each other, which would be a downside to what was cool for diehards for sure. Some of those three-on-three matchups, some of the people paired with each other and against each other. Great storylines if you know the teams and you know the rivalries. Um, again, what you said about using Vegas, I thought the fountain was a really cool set having that big blackjack board. Um, so they did some cool stuff with it. It's really hard to pull off some of these all-star weeks, especially when you've also got Pro Bowl weekend and Super Bowl stuff. It's a crowded marketplace, but I think they got creative and it was cool in some of those ways. I thought Monique Lamoureux-Davidson getting to participate. I love that they've been doing that with the women's players um, as well. So well done by the NHL, other than potentially it being a super spreader event. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're doing quickies, and I mentioned the next one. Quickies. The Pro Bowl. Fitz, we've been trying to fix, fix the Pro Bowl forever. Meanwhile, the Pro Bowl routinely outrates playoff games for every other sport. But just because it rates high doesn't prove anything other than football is king. And when we know where there's not going to be much left, we will watch pretty much anything, which is what we were watching in a two-hand touch game that had not a lot of defense and somehow not all that much offense either, considering there was no defense. Oh, yeah. Uh, what did you make of the Pro Bowl week? Uh, the fourth and 15 instead of an onside kick from your own 25, like that's something we, we've heard about. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, this sucks. Like there was no two ways about that. And I will say this. You mentioned Vegas. I'll tie it in on this. Vegas is the first city to have gotten to host an all-star game and a Pro Bowl in the same season and then also hosting the draft and they have a Super Bowl in 2024. So this is a real glow-up moment for the city. Even the Pro Bowl, I thought, had some Vegas flair to it and it was a nice moment for the uh, Allegiant Stadium to get some shine too. Max Crosby also doing great work for Pitbulls, so I think they got it right for the MVP. Yeah, I, uh, I don't want to take this to a bad place, but I have to with the next story. Quickies. Thank you. Alvin Kamara, the, Vegas is a great place to host all those things, Fitz. It is a fun place for the fans to go. It's a fun place for the athletes to go and want to actually show up. Hawaii was a huge part of the Pro Bowl attendance in the past. Vegas was a great spot for it. Unfortunately, Alvin Kamara was arrested shortly after the game for an incident that occurred the night before. There is video surveillance showing him punching a man approximately eight times 
before the people that Kamara is with stomp on him several more times in a Vegas casino. He was taken into custody after the Pro Bowl, interviewed, arrested and charged with battery resulting in substantial bodily harm, and was released after posting bail um, from the Clark County Detention Center. The man was knocked unconscious, suffered an orbital fracture to his right eye, and other injuries. It's just such a terrible look, Fitz. Anytime you've got... Uh, you know, guys in a space like that in a place that's supposed to be a celebration. Yeah, and Dreas is the nightclub that he was at, and it's it's particularly like there's just problems there. There's cops there all the time. I also look at this moment, and I read the Alvin Kamara's police statement where he said, no, that's not at all what happened. Like, it didn't go down that way. How players don't understand that everything in Vegas has a camera in it? Like, everything. So I'm just stunned to see people act that way. I'm stunned to think that you can get away with it and stunned to think that in Vegas people don't realize that there are going to be cameras every inch of every casino to catch every possible situation. So this isn't a he said, he said. There's there's pretty staggering evidence on it. And I'll be interested to see not only what Vegas does, but also, frankly, what the NFL does. Also, this is yet another time where an NFL player is acting the wrong way in Vegas, which is starting to set some of the locals off on the entire process yeah. of having the NFL in that city. No kidding. I know this sounds incredibly naive, too, but like, I just hate to see that from human beings over nothing. Right. Yep. You know, you're hanging with your friend and your girl and someone calls one of your friends ugly while waiting for an elevator. Just keep it moving. It's rude. It's stupid. I don't even know if someone said that. I don't care if someone said that. It's really not worth what you did to the guy and what could happen. And I say this all the time, but, you know, there's plenty of times in in my life where I've had people I know or there's been stories where it starts out as a harmless fight over nothing and somebody dies or becomes paralyzed or something serious happens and you go back and you would never want that based on some stupid throwaway comment and you just start drinking and get out late and terrible stuff happens. But it's it's a real bummer fits for what you said, which is that it's a cool place uh, to have all those events and that, that brings you down. All right, last story quickly. We know nothing about it, but Kyler Murray unfollowed the Cardinals on all his social media, and now we just get to have fun with that for the foreseeable future. All, all, all the suggestions, give them to us. Let us know what happened. Tell us why. Coming up next, Bill Barnwell. ESPN NFL senior writer and the host of the Bill Barnwell podcast. Bill Barnwell joins us now. Bill, let's get to it. Let's start with the coaches. What do you have to say? Pick one, anyone. Give us something you're fired up about when it comes to a McDaniel going to the Dolphins, Lovey Smith with the Texans, and Allen getting the the uh, uh, promotion with the Saints. I'll go Lovey Smith here because, guys, I, I don't really see what the logic was for the Houston Texans. They fired David Culley for reasons. We don't know what. By all accounts, David Culley did a pretty good job given the circumstances he inherited. And they retained continuity for some reason by keeping <laughs> Lovey Smith, who I don't think did a bad job at their D.C., but I don't really understand what the big picture plan is for the Houston Texans. It feels like it's another placeholder move for this organization. And again, look at who they interviewed. They interviewed Brian Flores, who uh, maybe isn't able to get this job because he has a pending lawsuit against the NFL. They interviewed Josh McCown, who seems like a sweetheart of a person, but who has no NFL head coaching experience or NFL, <laughs> any coaching experience, period. Um, I, I don't really understand what Lovey Smith, replacing David Cully with Lovey Smith does to move this organization forward. And maybe that wasn't the plan when they first started, but here we are, and they 
uh, the Texas Brain Trust decided this was the best way to move forward, and I'm a little confused. All right, Bill, so kind of give me your thoughts on Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins. To me, there are some people in the music business, for example, that we don't know if they're great musicians or not, but they're sure great performers. He's a great performer at the microphone, but what can we take away from his body of work so far that it gives us any indication of what kind of head coach he'll be? I mean, certainly his players are vouching for him. I mean, Kyle Juszczyk, I think, came out uh, when he was named the play caller there in San Francisco and said he does a great job of putting his players in a position to succeed. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have very nice things to say about Mike Daniel, but like you said, you know, we have to see him now as a band leader. He's not just the, you know, the the rhythm guitarist. He's the guy in charge of He's running the show in Miami, and there are a lot of people who might be good play callers, might be smart offensive minds, who, but when they're put into that new role as the person who has to run the organization, has to run, you know, top down that team on a day-to-day basis, struggle. Mike McDaniel might not be that guy. He might be that guy, but certainly, um, you know, a guy with a limited resume leading an organization where um, Kyle Shanahan did a lot of things that Mike McDaniel will now have to do. Quickly, Bill, uh, and it's Bill Barnwell with us here on Spain and Fitz. This applies a little more to love you, but to both. Do you think it's possible that the NFL leaned into these teams to make these hires? Because to your point, uh, firing Cully and then uh, elevating his defensive coordinator, and in the case of McDaniel, not a guy that we had heard mm-hmm. floated around as a real top candidate. Um, do you think any of that has to do with the issues after Flores' lawsuit? Yep, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I really think it's as simple as that. I mean, it, it sure seems like a funny coincidence if it's not, huh? Yeah, I sure mean. Does. But if that's the case, I mean, it's sort of a lose-lose for the league, is it not? Like, they, if they hire him, then that fuels mm-hmm. the lawsuit to some. And if they don't hire him, does that fuel the lawsuit? Like, it's a lose-lose, is it not? Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I think certainly the NFL would rather not have had it come to this, but they did. I mean, that's the reality of the situation they're in at this point, is that, you know, it, it's really going to be tough for them to look good or have any sort of significant change until we actually see it happen over three years. If Lovey Smith keeps this job for a year and gets fired the way David Cully does, and they replace him with a white coach, it's going to look terrible for the NFL. But maybe they're just hoping that kind of this year passes and they don't have to deal with the same sort of heat maybe in 2022 that they were here, sorry, in 2023 as they were now in 2022. Bill Barnwell is with us. You can listen to him on the Bill Barnwell podcast. Always read his work on ESPN.com, ESPN senior NFL writer. Okay, it's Monday of Super Week. Obviously, you have been hard at work scouring tape, looking mm-hmm. for the matchups, the the pros, the cons, who's got the strengths and the weaknesses. What is your Monday analysis? What are you focusing on today when it comes to breaking down this game? Guys, I, I, I don't – I feel like Aaron Donald might – actually devour Joe Burrow in this game. I'm really concerned. <laughs> like, this is a team that you remember against Tennessee. They could not block Jeffrey Simmons, who's a great player, but is not Aaron Donald. Last week, they did a better job against Chris Jones and Frank Clark, but Chris Jones still had a nice game. Again, he almost basically backdropped uh, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow had to uh, pull one of the great escapes to get away from Chris Jones. And now I just think about Aaron Donald. I think about Von Miller. I think about Leonard Floyd. I think to me this is a game where we could see something like maybe the 2015 Broncos or the 2020 Buccaneers, where it's just that defensive line is so dominant that it reduces everything else in the game to irrelevant. I think that is not maybe, you know, not a guarantee by any means, but I think that is where I'm at in terms of, you know, uh, that's the first thing that has to happen for the Bengals to win this game is they have to have some hope of holding up against Aaron Donald. Their line is just not very good. I, I just don't see how their line is good enough to, you know, do that for the entire game. 
so some of the logic to counter that is typically that you keep backs and line or backs and tight ends in, but that doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be the way the Bengals like to do things. They like to spread them out and get rid of the ball quickly. What's the better strategy for Cincinnati to try and offset what that defensive line can do to them? I like going empty. I, I know it, it's easy to say, okay, we're going to keep everyone in, like you said, and you know, block up with eight guys and send two or three guys out on routes, and you're going to find an open guy eventually. But I do think that Joe Burrow is a very quick processor. He's very good in the pocket. His footwork is great. You know, I, I think they really trust him to get the ball out quick. And you know, the results are not always there. And, and playing against some people is not the same as playing against Aaron Donald, who is I think one of one on the planet, let alone in the NFL. But I, I kind of agree with their philosophy. It stretched it out. That's the thing that comes from the Rams. The Rams are the you know, the NFL team most likely to go into an empty set this year. The Bengals, number two. So that's a philosophy that comes back to Sean McVay, let alone uh, Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. Bill Barnwell is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, looking ahead to the Super Bowl this Sunday. I can't believe it. It's coming up. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering when you look at the couple last games for the Rams and Matthew Stafford. Has the pressure been a little more off him? Has his performance been a little bit stronger and more consistent, more so because of what the Rams are doing and the position they're putting him in or the opponents mm-hmm. that they've played? This is my opinion, and you're welcome to disagree. I don't think Matthew Stafford's playing any differently or any better now than he was late in the regular season. The only difference to me is that the other team has started dropping his interceptions in the bucket right, game. Right. Um, he had a guy drop an interception in the end zone. last uh, Not last week, but two weeks ago against San Francisco. I mean, Chukwiski Tart drops a fair catch, basically, from Matthew Stafford. And the Rams turn out on that drive and score a touchdown, I believe. and, and uh, Or sorry, kick a field goal, I think, and win that game as a result. I, I don't think Matthew Stafford is playing better because those guys drop those passes. I think he's good. He can certainly get hot. We've seen him get hot for stretches of games over the past few weeks, but that offense can really struggle and he can make mistakes with the football. So to me, I don't think Matthew Stafford's playing any better now than he was in October, November, or December. Quickly, uh, can you give us any thought on somebody that may be off the radar that you think needs to have a big game, Bill? Oh, that's a good question. A good the old person. X-Factor. All, uh, off the radar. Yeah, the old X-Factor. I would say maybe Derek, uh, I would say Eric Weddle. I'd say Eric Weddle. Ram safety, obviously a guy who came out of retirement playing pickup basketball a couple of weeks ago, but a really impressive player playing every snap for them. I think he has to play a big role in stopping Joe Mixon in the run game. Yeah, we should say Eric Weddle is the guy with the most pressure, right? You can't come back and lose a Super Bowl. <laughs> it was it really worth it to just, you know, love. I think that'd be a great storyline for us to push really hard. Like all the pressures on Eric Weddle. Uh, Bill? We love you. You're the best. Thanks for coming on. We look forward to hearing more from you all week as we get ready for the game. Of course, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Bill.